it makes them feel valued because they feel like that they screwed up and that they're bad and that now they're locked up and, you know, that people don't care about them. But people do care about them. They're kids and they deserve attention and they deserve to have a lot of stimulation and inspiration and all the things that'll help them thrive and be as good a person in their life as they can. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff, and I have been so looking forward to this discussion today that I'm about to have because it touches on so many subjects that are of great interest to me, of great passion to me, and um, I'm just so excited to get into this conversation, and I I know you're all going to be excited to listen to it as well. So without further ado, I want to introduce my guest, who is Julie Forbes. She runs the library at Green Hill School a juvenile detention facility in Chehalis, Washington. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, yes. I'm delighted to speak with you, Stephen. So I came across Julie's story through a friend of mine who is involved in an organization called the Imagine Society, and she shared with me what Julie was doing. And rather than um, give an overview myself, I think it would be much better for everybody to let Julie uh, share with us what she's doing, and we can sort of go from there. So, Julie, can you please tell us a little bit about the Green Hill School and your role there in running the library? Sure. Well, I consider myself very fortunate to be running this library. It's I've been doing it for about eight years now, and when I took the library over, it was pretty grim. So I've built it up slowly but surely and have been able to meet my students' needs. And through this, you know, I've learned a lot. First of all, my juvenile detention is unique in that we have our kids for quite a while. We're the last step in the juvenile detention process. We were serving kids 15 through 21, and now it's 17 through 25. So, you know, you feel like you've been partially raising our kids. We're also the only fully fenced in juvenile detention facility in Washington State, and we serve the maximum security mental health and behavioral kids. So, I mean, it's challenging, but it's so rewarding, so rewarding. And um, I'm happy to talk about it, hopefully raise awareness to how important reading it is and how important to what a lifeline books are to the residents that I serve. No, absolutely. When I heard about what you were doing with Danielle and then I read about an inter- I read the interview that you gave to someone in the Imagine Society their publication it really hit me because for myself as an only child and and just as a person reading has been such a huge part of my life reading fiction reading business uh, reading uh, philosophy and spiritual works and everything and I was just so moved because you have young people who are in a position where they're they're isolated and in a stressful environment. And I can only imagine for them how much more important books are. When you got involved and you'd said, Julie, that you'd made some changes, what aspect 
of this library? Because I know you and I have spoken offline, but as you work with the children and as you work with this library, can you share with us a little bit about how the children have interacted with the library maybe before you made the changes and how that involvement has evolved since you've made a number of changes to make it more appealing and engaging for them? Yeah. Before, it was kind of, well, your audience probably may not be familiar with juvenile detention facilities, but they're expensive programs to run, and there's oftentimes not enough money for good books or things like that. You know, your your money goes into having smaller classrooms and specialty staff like spec ed, psychologists, that kind of thing. So the library, when I took it over, there was just a lot of rules, and it was set up very security-minded. Of course, we have to be security-minded, but I mean, to the point where it's kind of repressive. The kids couldn't, weren't allowed to talk. They definitely couldn't speak Spanish. And when I started training for it, I realized that there was just so much to improve on as far as getting inventory that was appropriate for the kids. I mean, I weeded out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books that were elementary school books or tagged up books or books in disrepair, pages falling out, and just fought. I wrote every author I could think of, every publisher, anybody that would listen to me to try to get the kids books that they wanted. That's how my Amazon wish list came about. And I'm at the stage now where I'm working with the Washington Arts Commission, and they're going to give me some of their inventory. So the kids will have actual artwork by commissioned artists that they'll have. We'll have some Native American pieces and some African-American. Well, we'll be able to represent we have Hispanic artists and we'll be able to, so the kids will be exposed to real art. So it's going to have the feeling of a little bit more than a library, but also a bit of a gallery. And so my, my point in this direction is because I know how easily my kids are inspired that surrounding them with really good books and, and artwork and in things like that is to stimulate them and get them thinking bigger and seeing the world differently. And I want to empower them and and for them to always be curious about the world. Mm. I think what you're doing is so important because, you know, with all detention facilities, prisons, what have you, there's always a, of course, a punitive aspect and a rehabilitative aspect. But when you're dealing with juveniles and young people, that rehabilitative aspect is even more important and you're doing such a tremendous service in facilitating that. I wonder, as you were growing up, were books a huge part of your life? Was service a huge part of your life? Because I can hear from listening to you the pleasure and the and the joy that you get from, from what you're doing. Where did that come from in terms of your background and, and how it led you to, to be where you are with respect to Greenhouse? I grew up, I have an identical twin sister, and we had a single mom that was barely 18 when she had us, and she had a lot of mental health issues and, and struggles. So it was a very unstable childhood book. So books were always there for me. I mean, I was just amazed by the magic and how, you know, just getting different perspectives and stuff. I Just to be able to read a biography about somebody and realize that their life is so different than mine and just opened my heart up. And because my mom is a really sensitive person and caring person, I think my twin sister and I kind of took after that. We were always, you know, tried really hard to be as helpful as we could to other people in our lives. And when I started as a stay-at-home mom many years ago, I volunteered everywhere I could, but mostly in the kids' schools. And I raised money for the libraries because books had been so important to me. A lot of times we couldn't afford books, and we loved them so much. 
I just always wanted kids to be able to have access to all the books that they want and to, to feel like that they're special, they should get books. So I raised money for the libraries in our district and volunteered and did everything I could do to support them and other things too, as far as that goes. But when I started actually working, I worked with uh, special ed kids in, um, in our middle school and then I got a job over here and I couldn't believe how much I loved it over here. It was just, I love the diversity, the different kinds of cultures and backgrounds and stories. And I mean, it's just, the kids are just wonderful. They're so good to work with. I'm in, a lot of people would be intimidated about coming into a place like this. And you do have to have skill sets, but the kids are so appreciative of everything. I mean, they're really, really appreciative and, and they want to learn and they want to grow. They come into the library all the time asking, where's the knowledge book? Hmm. <laughs> you know, they just... <laughs> Or I'll, they'll bring back a book that I recommend and uh, they'll say, that's knowledge. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I just can't explain it. It's just, it's just amazing to be able to connect with these, these guys that are just growing and learning and thinking. Mm. And, you know, yeah. one of the reasons, you know, because obviously this is a podcast that most of the time deals with either the hospitality industry or business or entrepreneurship, but when I think of the hospitality industry at its best, it's about the connection between humans, whether that's in a, a wonderful meal or a wonderful cocktail or a wonderful ambiance in a restaurant or a hotel or what have you. But the connection that you're creating or helping to facilitate for these kids and the connection that they're creating with these books is really very much dialed into the overall theme of what I want to explore here. And I can absolutely relate to what you were saying about books. I remember at a very young age, books became my constant companion and a source of escape, but also a source where, and I think you hear this often with people where they say, this book changed my life, that book changed my life, and there's a transformative element. Have you, Julie, ever seen, because obviously when you're dealing with these students, they're coming in in a very extreme situation. And you get to observe them in a very extreme sort of situation. Have you seen in real time or over time books have a truly transformative effect over some students where you've seen the students you've worked with, whether it's over a period of months or years, you see real tangible changes that have been effectuated oh, yeah. by their books? And and talk a little bit about that. I would love to hear a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget one kid. He was one of our maximum security mental health, very, very vulnerable young man. And uh, he, you know, was really suffering. And I had, uh, it was back when I was starting out and I was writing everybody on God's green earth. <laughs> and I had gotten a book that was written by a gentleman in Britain, and they were using that book on mindfulness in the prison system. And he donated me like 10 of them, 10 or or something like that. So I was able to put them in my inventory and then also give them to kids that were struggling. And that particular child, for whatever it was on that book, it helped him regroup and have a way to deal with, you know, what was going on in his head. And it gave him the tools and it completely changed his life. It was the right book at the right time for that individual. He was able to absorb that information and it transformed him. And so when he was released, he had tools. He had tools to work with. And he donated his copy of the book that I had given him to the living unit because he wanted other kids to have that experience 
and his parents had bought him another copy at home. But yeah, or just talking with the kids, one kid in particular, I had known for a really, really long time. Well, he was here back before I took over the library. And then I watched him grow as I was taking over. He helped me figure out what books to order and what the kids are wanting and stuff. And he ended up being my library assistant years later when we switched over to the older kids. He talks about communication like he is a professional counselor. I mean, it is amazing how much he's gleaned. He, a lot, he started off with reading mostly the fantasy and then he got into a little bit of crime novels. And then he started getting into a lot of, I brought in like communication books. He's part of the reason for it, but lots of books on communication. And he is so articulate and able to communicate. And I was just amazed at how much he grew up. I mean, I would be so proud to have him as my son. I mean, to be able to talk at the level that he was talking and be able to communicate with people. He learned that. He learned through all the fantasy reading and stuff, all the different scenarios and about how if you get to reading a lot, if you read a lot of fiction books, it's like, why don't they just communicate? Why don't they just talk? Why don't they just speak from the heart? Mm. And he was the same lessons that I learned through reading that. And he took it to heart. And so he learned about communication. I mean, we have kids like that all the time. I mean, because we see them come in and they're sometimes they're on the streets or they're traumatized. I mean, they come in, they get stabilized and start to work with them. And, and then they have this library that they have access to drawing books and self-help books and I mean we even have lots of manga and graphic novels and comic books and yeah it's good for them because it keeps them from ruminating in their rooms it keeps their minds busy but really all those fiction books and everything else is developing those pathways in the brain that deal with empathy and compassion and communication. As I'm listening to you, Julie, so many of the lessons or so many of the changes that you describe in your students are applicable to all of us, and it's so inspiring because as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing that just by simply expanding one's mind and absorbing new information and being willing to change and being willing to learn, you can transform your life. And that goes for all of us. I think it's so important to be reminded of the power of the mind, the power of information, the power of choices. As you and I were talking yesterday, I mentioned to you that one of my favorite books, or, or even beyond favorite, a book that really impacted me was the autobiography of Malcolm X. Oh, yeah. Because it's a book about a man who transformed himself through faith and through activating his intellect and through will. Something as a business person, an entrepreneur, just as a human being listening to you, you know, you have children that are in a very challenging circumstance. And... You can find yourself in that circumstance for a variety of reasons, but one thing is for sure, when you're there, you've, you've got to make a comeback. And here you have young people making that comeback and getting after it to transform their lives. How inspiring for all of us who have that opportunity, as we all do every day, and not have to be subjected, thank God at this moment, to that challenging circumstance. It's a very powerful, to me anyway, reminder as I'm listening to you discuss this. And I would also say, just very briefly to, to lead into the next question, as you see, for example, when you and I were talking, one of the things that really hit me was when I was asking you what kind of books the students like or what they're looking for, you said a lot of them like books on business and entrepreneurship. Do you find that to be a relatively common theme amongst your students that they want to open up a business or be entrepreneurs when they come out? 
Yeah, because a lot of times they have different ideas that they would like to see work for them. So, I mean, I I remember being that age and being pretty creative and stuff too. Uh, and so you want to you wanna encourage them where they're at. But I always tried to have business books. And I mean, it's been challenging for me because I get kids in that are really curious about physics or things like that. And I don't know that much about that particular subject, so I have to research it. And the same thing with business and um, psychology books. I may not be an expert, but it's up to me to try to find the books. So it's a lot of responsibility for me and a lot of research. So any expertise, anybody out there that wants to (laughs) pipe in, you're welcome to. But um, yeah, so I've developed more of my business section because as as our kids got older, there was more kids that were ready for that stage. It was funny because we just watched them develop where they were reading the urban books or they were reading this or reading that. And then they started getting into, oh, wait, there's books on how to buy a house. Oh, I want to know how to do that and, and, and different things like that. So yeah. Well, you're doing a good job. I mean, I, I, one of the things I looked at your list and one book that popped out to me, because I, I don't read much in fantasy and science fiction, but you had a lot of great different genres there. But when I saw How to Win Friends and Influence People show up, I said, that's a book that I have to buy for the library because I read a lot of books on a lot of different subjects. I've read a lot of business books and I, I'm going to make some recommendations. And anyone who's listening, if you want to DM me or email me. I'll, as I always do at the end of the show, give my information. And as I always say, I enjoy hearing from you. If people have business books they want to recommend, I'll pass them on. But How to Win Friends and Influence People, such an important book, not just on business, but on communication, on life, on people. And I just was like, I don't know, I was just so glad to see that there. And it was just incredible to think that there's someone in Green Hills who's reading that book, is going to be absolutely inspired and learn from it. They're going to come out and they're going to be an incredible entrepreneur because so much of what it takes to be successful in business, you could say the same thing for life, but I think for sure in business, are skill sets that you don't learn in school. You know, things such as consistency, resiliency, self-discipline, motivation, imagination, all of the skills that I'm sure your students are activating at a much higher level than other people are. And then when you combine that with books and knowledge that are specifically geared towards it, those are very formidable people and competitors in the business world. Yeah. And I'm sure and I'm sure we're going to be hearing about that because business is competitive and it's a sport. And I, I think that's so cool. As you have been working and seeing and observing and, and watching children, do you find that they ever get into discussion groups with themselves? Or do you find that sometimes there's a book that just becomes super popular with a, a number of, of the students and then they discuss it themselves and, and take it from there? Have you found that to ever occur? Yeah. So for instance, on the wish list, somebody may be asked for something I've never heard of in science fiction or something like that. And so I'll put it on the wish list. And when it comes in, that student really likes the book. Well, the next thing you know, it's being checked out all over and people are checking it out and know about it and, and, you know, sharing their experience with it. And then we do a lot of book talk in the library too. So when the kids come in, they talk about what 
they're going through. And I read a lot of the books with the kids. So we compare notes and, and we have honest discussions about books. Like I don't care personally for the urban fiction, a lot of it, just because I just don't like the, the killing and the crime and stuff. I tend to like more books that are a little bit more literary fiction, even though some of the urban books I have are pretty good. They're literary fiction, but it gives us such great things to talk about. I mean, we get to talk about it, compare the characters and uh, how that affects them. And, and, or even just like the manga, what's really funny is, the kids always want to read the manga and they just can't get enough of it. And I, as the person running the library and also an educator, I'm like, well, why don't you read a real book? And then <laughs> it's so funny because you should always stay humble with it when you're working with kids, I tell you. Because <laughs> I sat down with one kid that's really obsessed with them. And I said, I just don't know if you're really getting anything out of this like you would be a regular novel. And he started talking about this one series that he's been reading. I could not believe the complexity between the characters and how multi-layered they were. And then I realized that this is a generational thing. I wasn't raised with manga and I was missing out on what he was seeing. It was so enthralled with. And um, yeah, so book talks are big. Yeah. And, and I have a lot of readers and they book talk in their living units and sometimes they'll read books together. And yeah, it's definitely, we read more than most high schools do. Let me just put it that way, hands down. I believe it. It, it sounds incredible because of having that community of people to talk with. And I was even thinking of something you said before, you know, I read comic books as a kid. And, and even when I was coming up, you started to see the emergence of graphic novels and and more serious comic books, sort of the Frank Miller. And I always had a view like, well, these aren't real works of fiction. And when I would see my kids, I, I have two boys and a girl. I always sort of had this view that this isn't real literature. Mm -hmm. But my daughter, who's 12, she's going to be 13 tomorrow, actually. She is reading for her school a graphic novel about World War II and the internment camps that we had here oh, for yeah. Japanese citizens. And I was reading a paper that she had to write on it. And what was so cool and what really made me realize how foolish I had been having that sort of dismissive or, or condescending view is with these graphic novels, and she was doing this, not only are you analyzing the text and the plot and the theme, traditional things you'd find in a novel, but she was actually writing about how the color palette and different images served to reinforce certain aspects of what was going on. And I was like, wow, you know, this this is actually adding a whole new dimension to literary analysis. And it was very cool. And I agree with you. It's very important with young people to stay open-minded and humble because uh, you never know what you're going to learn. Yeah. And everybody's path is different. I mean, their generation has different different ways of looking at stuff and expressions. And art is it really, uh, I think, super important. And that, that's one of the things I'm trying to create here is an artistic atmosphere with real art and books with art and drawing books, because it's an important part of who, who we are as a species. And I have many, many, many students that may not be strong readers, but they like the graphic novels or even the mangas where they connect with the story. There may be not as many words, the drawings bring in the story. So so they're using different parts of their brain, but they're getting they're still getting a lot of depth. And that's why I want my kids reading. Well, of course, learning about things, but also it's just it's that depth. It's that layering of emotions and feelings and, and communication and 
you know, imagining different worlds and scenarios and imagining yourself as a different person. Definitely. So art is a wonderful tool for for emphasizing that. Absolutely. You know, I I read a lot of books now. I would say the, the majority of the books that I read now are nonfiction. They're either history or they're business books or they're biographies. And those books serve me very well when I'm facing a challenging situation from a business context because you think about what other historical figures, uh, Napoleon, Jackie Robinson, Martin Luther King, Churchill had to go through, and it gives you a sense of courage and a sense of perspective that if these individuals could take on such enormous challenges and persevere, you know, it inspires you. But when you talk about fiction and literature, I, w- I was an English language and literature major in college, and people sometimes find that to be inconsistent with being a business person or, or an attorney, which I became. But in reality, it's it's actually a phenomenal training for business because when you're reading fiction, when you're reading great fiction, you're learning about psychology and human interactions and human motivations. And these are all things that you desperately need to be attuned to if you're going to effectively work with your own team, with customers, scaling your business. So as you can tell from what I'm saying, I just owe so much to my love of books, uh, be it fiction or nonfiction. I really believe that they're magical and the the joy and the depth and the appreciation they can bring to life are uh, incredible. One thing I want to bring out that I'm getting from listening to you, and I think it it really relates to the overall theme of this podcast, is the following. It's clear that you have tremendous passion for what you do that comes through and what you're saying. But also, what I'm getting out of listening to you is what enabled you, maybe transforms too strong a word, maybe it isn't, but when you came into the responsibility or the role of taking over the library, you recognize that in order to maximize engagement and efficacy, you had to make it beautiful, you had to make it engaging, you convey to your students that you care. And I just want to use that as an analogy to some of the listeners that are here for the business or the entrepreneurial side of things. Whatever you do in your business, and in life for that matter, believe me when I tell you that the person who cares and the person that that goes the extra mile, and the person that wants to make something as beautiful as it can be, even if it emanates from their own sense of self-respect or their own sense of the way things should be, that type of decision, that type of behavior always pays huge rewards. I have to believe that your students, whether they verbalize it or whether they acknowledge it consciously, they see from what you've done that, hey, this is somebody that really cares about me and values my development, and values this library, and it makes it that much more precious and impactful for them. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I've had so many kids over the years tell me that the library is the only place they feel truly safe, that they just love to come to the library and spend time. It's like their chill-out spot. Oh, yeah, all the time. I I just went to the living units and collected books, and... uh, the kids are going, we miss our library, mom. We can't believe it. Two weeks, because we just got off break. Two weeks, we haven't had library. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, the kids definitely come in here and feel valued and respected. And most of the books that I get are through donation. So, and I put little book plates on, like the book that you bought, How to Win Fr- Friends and Influence People will have a book plate on the front that says, donated by, this book was donated by Stephen. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't use last names, but I do. And the kids a lot of times will recognize who the donor is because I have uh, Howard Gorin. He's a dear friend of the library. and He's bought many books for the kids over the years. So they'll say, oh, this is from Howard or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It makes them feel valued because they feel like that they screwed up and that they're bad and that now they're locked up and, you know, that people don't care about them. But people do care about them. They're kids and they deserve attention and they deserve to have a lot of stimulation and inspiration and all the things that'll help them thrive and be as good a person in their life as they can and be able to deal with their mental health issues or be able to deal with relationships, to be able to to do things that are difficult and to be able to get through to the other side. Yeah. And the library is a place that they can come and hang out and they they can look for that kind of stuff. Well, I have to say, you know, I started doing this podcast because I wanted to interview different people in, in, in the business world, in the hospitality space, and learn. But it's branching out now to where I just want to interview exceptional people that inspire me and that I can learn from and that are having an impact. Because at the end of the day, that's what counts. You know, the way you describe the uh, the students in the facility, as humans, it's it's really best if we sort of put aside our our sometimes need or desire to judge people and rather focus on how we can be a force of positivity. And you, by taking the action you're doing, Julie, it's it's incredibly inspiring, not just to your students, but to me. And I'm so grateful you took the time to speak with me. This has been incredibly enjoyable and illuminating. I want to conclude by, I know that my audience, in addition to being people who are very uh, ambitious or desirous of starting a business or perfecting their business or growing their business. But I know from from doing this for a couple of years now that it's an incredibly empathetic and open-minded and generous-minded community. And I think what you're doing is spectacular. So we're going to have the link in the show notes so that people can log on and participate in what you're doing. But I also know that you and I were talking about not just your library, if there's any other information or thoughts you have, because obviously these juvenile detention facilities are all over. And is there anything more that we can do or anything more that you wanted to share about that as sort of a, a macro theme or? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would like to raise awareness that juvenile detention facilities, it's an expensive program to do it. They have to contract with the local school district. And then a majority of the kids are spec ed kids, which means they have an IEP, which means they need extra help in certain areas because a lot of them have learning disabilities or a lot of trauma, behavioral disabilities. And so they have smaller classrooms and they'll be like a a school psychologist. It's it's an expensive program to run. Um, So they don't get a lot of extras like art programs or Hopefully, somebody's worked hard on their library, but a lot of times, I mean, we have, we've had a lot of problems in Washington State with nobody running the library. So, the book, it just goes into disrepair. Nobody's wanting to take responsibility for the library. And if the library's not a priority, then they're missing on so many levels because just the years that I've been working here, I cannot believe how much it's bolstered and supported the kids I serve. It's worth it. It's so worth it. So maybe letting people know that juvenile detention facilities in their area may be in need. A lot of times they're set up in rural areas and they're not getting a lot of support from their community. 
kids, you know, rural areas tend to be a little more conservative. And a lot of times the kids are not from those areas. Most of the kids are from the inner cities. So, yeah, I mean, I think getting involved, making sure that they have what they need would be really, really helpful. I mean, it it was really something for me to uh, come into this and have to figure out how to get support within this system and to make the changes that I saw and knew that needed to be done to be as good as we could be. And we're, you know, of course, still a long ways. So yeah, I would say if, if you're interested in supporting and you want to reach out to any of the juvenile detention facilities, that would be amazing. I just really want to emphasize how important rating is for brain development. It's just really important. For reading development for younger people, oh, it's just, critical as far as they, they just gain so much so fast. And neurologically speaking, when you're hit like 25 to 30, especially if you're a guy, your brain goes through and prunes out the excess neurons that it doesn't need. So you're like wiring to your environment. And then when you hit that pivotal point where you're fully, your, your brain is fully developed, the prefrontal cortex, it doesn't, it doesn't need those extra ones. So it just gets rid of them. So right now, if we can push that reading, it's just, Kind of like use it or lose it. I mean, not that you can't develop uh, neurons and stuff like that throughout your life, but when they're young, they're they're learning machines. Mm. I, I really have a great deal of respect for you, Julie, because you're out there making a huge difference, and you're making a huge difference in a in a community and with people that are oftentimes overlooked and and a part of society that people aren't really focused on, and yet. We're all God's children, and we all have a, uh, a meaning and a purpose. So I thank you. Normally I do a little bit of, of follow-up at the end, but I just want to do it here. Um, I love hearing from all of you, so if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at stephen at woolcofoods.com. You can DM me. And on this episode, I would absolutely love for you, if you do DM me or, or email me with any questions, to please include some book recommendations, which I'll happily share with Julie I would also imagine then I'm going to have the link below in the show notes on the uh, Amazon page uh, for your library. There's probably a way to leave a message. So everybody, I really encourage you, if this is something that has inspired you, if you're somebody like me that loves books and has had the blessing of having books be a huge and beneficial part of your life, I, I hope this inspires you to take some action and think about this and, and have an impact. And Julie... Thank you so much for taking the time today, and, and really thank you for everything you do. It's been a, it's been an honor speaking with you. Oh, it's been, it's been my honor. I just <laughs> I just love talking about my library. Thank you so much. It means everything to me to be able to share my experience working with the kids. I've just I have so much love for them, and I just appreciate that you know you're interested in their stories too. Well, thank you, Julie. I want to wish you and everyone who's listening an amazing and a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net. Woolco Foods.